the reading today is Psalm 42 on page 567 of the Church Bibles. <clears throat> it's a very personal sort of psalm. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. This is the word of the Lord. So please keep the passage open in front of you, Psalm 42, uh, page 567. If you've closed it, let me pray for us. Father, we pray, please, that as we look at your word together, that you would teach us. Help us, Father, as we come to the different circumstances of life, that we would, in all those circumstances, pray to you. And so help us, Father, as we think about times when we're in the desert, when we're struggling. Father, please help us in those times to know how to come to you and to do so and to be refreshed by this psalm. Teach us, we pray. Amen. Well, as I said in that prayer, our sermon series at the moment is praying in all circumstances. And today's prayer, today's psalm is about praying in the desert, a prayer when life is dragging us through the floor, across the floor, and, and we're just in despair. And what we find in the Bible is that 
there are times when those who are faithful to God do go through really low times. That's not their only experience. Of course, there are plenty of times when people are praising God and rejoicing. But there are times when uh, those who are faithful to God are going through really low times. And they express it. Now, an assumption that sometimes people might have, particularly if they're not Christians, is that someone becoming a Christian will, will therefore uh, have a life which is just flying high, which is uh, always uninterrupted bliss. And of course that is not right. Uh, they assume depression should not hit them. That can be the assumption that you should never have down days or weeks or months or years. But not only is that wrong, it's dangerous. Because when we have down times, we might think, well, maybe I'm not a Christian. We're going to look at two things from this psalm, uh, which will actually match the refrain. There is a refrain in the, in the psalm. It actually, uh, the, this psalm actually goes together with Psalm 43 as well. And the refrain is at the end of that one as well. But we're just going to focus on Psalm 42. The refrain is there in verse 5 and uh, verse 11 of Psalm 42. Just have a look at it. Verse 5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Well, we're going to think about this in two parts, and it matches that, that refrain. The first part of the refrain. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? That's where we're going to begin. Why so disturbed? And so the first point, you can see it on your sheet, uh, on the back of the notice sheet, you've got it there. The first point is the downcast soul. Let's come alongside this psalmist as he or she describes their situation, their being down, being in the desert. Let's come alongside them and see why. See, what is it that's bringing them down? Why is their soul so downcast? And maybe there will be, for some here, echoes of how maybe you're feeling at the moment. For others, it may be observing this, but it's good to store this away for when maybe you do feel like this. Now, we won't spend too long in just observing this grief because we need to spend more time on dealing on how to deal with it. But we'll see six ways, and you've got them on your sheet, that, uh, that this depression hits the writer. And the first way is spiritual. The first way this psalmist is down in the depths, is being dragged across the floor, is spiritual. We see it right there at the beginning of the psalm. Verse 1 and 2. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? This is the cry of someone who is feeling spiritually totally dry. Desperate for God. But feeling that God is not with them. Wanting to meet with God. But can't. Which is a good reminder right from the start. This psalmist, the thing that they struggle with the most is their relationship with God, that they used to know times which were sweet with God, but now it feels like there's nothing there. A Christian is someone who loves God. 
We're commanded, aren't we, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And the Christian says, yes, I want to do that. I don't do it perfectly, but I want to do that. As it says elsewhere in the Old Testament, a Christian is someone who has tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And then when they find, when we find it, that God feels absent, that is almost unbearable. Do you know that feeling? You pray and the Lord just feels distant. Doesn't feel like you get any answers. And the things you pray about, well, it doesn't feel like it makes any difference. You've known in the past the joy of a close relationship with the Lord, but you just feel like there's a distance and it's painful. So, it is spiritual second, this depression is emotional. Verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night, while, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? Tears day and night, that must mean two things, mustn't it? It must mean that the psalmist can't sleep. If tears have been his food during the night, that means he can't get to sleep. And, if tears have been his food during the day, it looks like he can't eat either. You know, that time when you make food and it's there in front of you and you're sure it's going to be, it would be nice, but you just don't have the stomach for it because you're so low. That's what this psalmist is feeling. Tears day and night. So it's emotional. Third, it's social. People are bringing this person down. You saw it there at the end of verse 3. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? It's terrible, isn't it? When the people around you are dragging you down, it can be so hard, especially if they're saying your faith is wrong or is pointless. Look at your situation, they might say. What good has it been to you to be a Christian? You just feel, oh, dragged down. You look back on happier times. The psalmist looks back on times which were so much more joyful. Verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God, under the protection of the mighty one, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Do you see the contrast? He says, I used to go with loads of other people to praise God. He was surrounded by people who were praising, singing God's praises. But now he's just surrounded by people who are saying, where's your God? So there's a social element to this. And just in passing, notice the the significance, the importance of meeting with God's people. To be able to praise God together, it, it, it impacts us in far bigger ways than we can imagine. To cut ourselves off from that is foolish and, and, and unhelpful. This psalmist would love to be there with God's people. I hope that's our longing as well. I mean, you're here this morning, so that, that's a great sign, isn't it? So it's social. Fourth, it's geographical. Uh, we may not struggle with this one, but if you, if you go down to verse 6, he says, My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Well, uh, all of those places are far from Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem was the place of the temple, the place, the focal point of, uh, of meeting with God, of praising God for God's Old Testament people. These places are all far from Jerusalem. So there's something keeping him away from being able to get there. That is part of the problem for him. He's distant. And, next one, it's theological. 
There is a wrestling with truth here. I wonder if you can empathize with this. Have a look at verse 7. This is what the psalmist says. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. Now notice there the theology that this psalmist is saying. He's saying that these problems that have come into his or her life, we don't know exactly what they are, but these problems that have come in, where is the psalmist saying that they are coming from? He says they're coming from God. They are your waves and breakers your waterfalls notice that in the psalm we've gone from being in the desert where he's desperately thirsty to being now drowning the waves are coming over him and he's saying god i know they're coming from you and that's right yeah the 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 troubles that hit us in life they do come from god Uh, Sometimes people want to reject that, turn away from that and go, no, no, they can't come from God. That that causes too many problems. Of course, it causes lots of problems if you say they don't come from God. Where do they come from then? In the book of Job, Job has lost everything. Right at the beginning of the book, his wife tells him to curse God and die. And Job says to her this, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And then it says, in all this, Job did not sin in what he said. He's saying, look, good comes from God, yes, but trouble also comes from God. You can't just accept one without accepting the other. And there is no comfort at all in saying they don't come from God. Now, if the Lord is sovereign, if he's omnipotent and omniscient, then they must come from him. And then the psalmist says, here's the wrestling, verse 8. By day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me, a prayer to the, God, to the God of my life. So he's saying, but God does direct his love during the day. The psalmist is saying, God is love. I know he's loving. I know that day by day he does direct his love. When God passed Moses in in the book of Exodus, passed in front of Moses, God said, I will declare my name. And what was his name? He said, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. What does God declare about himself? He declares he is loving and compassionate. And the psalmist says, yes, I know you are. You direct your love during the day. But that comes right after verse 7. Do you see the struggle? God, your, your waves and your breakers have hit me. This has come from you, but I know you're loving. I know you direct your love. Which is why then in verse 9 he says... I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Here's the questions. Why? Why is it like this, God? Your waves, your breakers have hit me, but I know you direct your love. Why? Why is it like this? Maybe you've wrestled with those things before God in the past it's difficult isn't it these things have hit me these troubles these tragedies these difficulties but I know you're loving God so why 
So it's theological. And lastly, it's physical as well. There seems to be physical impact of this depression on, on this psalmist. So he says, verse 10, my bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? There seems to be a physical impact. He's in pain. When we're down, when we're really down, it does have these effects on a person. So that is why the psalmist's soul is downcast. And you go, when he says, why, are, why is my soul downcast within me? You look through those, that list and you go, well, I'm not surprised. It's not surprising, is it? And maybe you can relate to some of that. Maybe you have in the past. Now, as we come alongside this psalmist, notice that God comes alongside us and says, if you recognize some of this, I do understand. He reassures us. But the psalm is not given that we might merely wallow in depression, but to help us know how to deal with it, to give us the way out of it. It may take time, but to give us a way out, to lift us. Now, it's important to say that, of course, there can be several causes of depression uh, which can interact with one another and therefore different ways of dealing with it are needed. So sometimes it is caused by trauma, isn't it, which counselling would be helpful. Sometimes it can be chemical in our bodies, imbalances in a person that needs medical treatment. And we shouldn't underestimate those and other significant causes that will need other treatments, of course. And here in the psalm, the treatment is spiritual, which here is soul medicine, which will need to be applied alongside all those other treatments. So how does the psalm help us? Back to verse 5, the refrain, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour, and my God. Well, we've seen why he's downcast. Uh, next thing we come to is put your hope in God. The first thing to notice under this section is that the psalmist talks to himself. Now, it always used to be, didn't it, when uh, if you saw someone, you're walking down the street, you saw someone talking to themselves. In years gone by, you would have been questionable about that person. You might have gone to the other side of the road, just a little wary of them. Nowadays, you don't bat an eyelid, do you? You just presume they're on their phone, uh, which maybe is good disguise for those who do actually just talk to themselves. But actually, we need to talk to ourselves. The psalm is saying, talk to yourself. That's what the psalmist is doing. That's what he's doing there, isn't he? He's saying, he's talking to himself. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Put your hope in God. He's talking to himself. And we need to recognize the difference between listening to ourselves and talking to ourselves. We've, we've mentioned this before, but it is so important. Most of the time, we listen to ourselves, don't we? Thoughts just come to our minds. And for the person who is in the desert, those thoughts are likely to be very negative. And we just listen to ourselves. But the psalmist here talks to himself, reasons with himself, instructs himself. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes about this in a, in a chapter, in a book he wrote about depression. 
and he wrote a chapter about this psalm. Lloyd-Jones was a medical doctor uh, who became one, a, a great preacher in London uh, in the last century. And he says this, let me quote a bit for you. I can't do his voice. If you ever listen to him online, um, he's, got, he's got a great, great voice. But I won't try and imitate him. You're going to have to look him up and listen to him. Anyway, he says this. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. The main art, he goes on, the main art in this matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why art thou cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, abrade yourself, condemn yourself, exalt yourself and say to yourself, hope thou in God, instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. For some of us, I'm sure, we will make huge leaps forward in our spiritual lives if we can notice when we are just listening to ourselves and then start talking to ourselves. It means rather than our thoughts just going wherever they go, like a boat with no one at the helm, that we take control of it and say, no, I will tell myself the truth. So what is the truth? Well, it it is the truth that he says in the second half of that verse. Put your hope in the Lord. Now, as a church family, I, I thought it struck me this last week. Isn't it interesting that the Lord has in several places over this, these last months, this year, directed us to Bible passages which tell us to put our hope in the Lord? It's in the verse for the year that we've come back to you several times. And in last week's psalm, it says, no one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame and my hope is in you all day long. And here, put your hope in the Lord. Now, you might think, ah, Bart's just manufactured this and, you know, done this. I haven't at all. This is, I think, the Lord prompting us as a church family and as individuals to say we need to put our hope in the Lord. When you get repetitions like that in life, when you get, you know, something is said on a Sunday or something is said in your own quiet time, when you get those kind of repetitions, I think it's worth us sitting up, isn't it, and paying attention. The Lord is underlining something. He's not taking that instruction and raising it above all the rest of the Bible, not at all. But he is underlining something. And so we should pay attention. We must put our hope in him. That's what the psalmist tells himself to do. He says, put your hope in God. Not in himself, not in his circumstances, but in God. Why? This, I think, is one of the greatest helps that we can have. Here is a truth we need to hold on to. Put your hope in God. Why? For I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. I will yet praise him. 
Do you see, the psalmist is saying, this is not the end. This being on the floor, this spiritual depression, this being in the desert is not my destination. This is not the end of the story. I am only part way through, and I will at some point praise the Lord. He doesn't merely say, things will get better. No, this is in relationship to God. He says, I will yet praise him. I will at some point be so filled with joy in him that my heart will burst into song. It will happen. That is medicine for our souls. To say to ourselves, however bleak things may be, And part of the problem with depression is it feels like it will never end. But the psalmist says to himself, I will yet praise the Lord, my Saviour and my God. But how do we know this will happen? How do we know it? How can we know that we will ever get to that point again? How do we know we can trust God to get us there? When we're in the depths, when we're in the desert, we feel we are abandoned by God. But the reality is that the Christian, though they may feel abandoned, is never abandoned by God. Why not? Because Jesus really was abandoned by God. We may feel all God's waves and breakers come over us at times, but that crucially is not true. It is not all God's waves and breakers, because all God's waves and breakers hit Jesus when he took the spiritual, emotional, social and physical suffering when he died on the cross and did it for us, in our place, taking our wrongdoing, our wrongdoing that should mean that we are abandoned by God. Jesus took it, took the separation from God for us, so that you and I, if we're trusting in him, will never be abandoned by God. Because through Christ and his separation from God, through his sacrifice for us, we become children of God, deeply loved. And God promises us this, I, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And therefore, we can know that however bad things are, we are not abandoned. That the Lord is somehow working for our good. And that one day, we will praise him. It may be in this life. It may be in a few minutes. It may be in days or weeks or months or years. You just don't know how the Lord will act. Like Jesus' disciples in the boat, on the lake, in the storm. They had given up. They thought they were going to die. They thought they were going to drown. In that moment, all was lost. They were terrified, and none of them could have predicted what would happen next. That Jesus would stand and tell the wind and the waves to stop, 
and that therefore in just a few minutes, after thinking all was lost, their thoughts were no longer on the storm, but were purely on Jesus, having seen his power, and asking each other, who is he? So too with us. We may be on the floor, but we have no idea what the Lord may do in the coming minutes. It may be today, it may be tomorrow, it may be next year. You don't know how the Lord might act, such that you are just blown away by him, with all your heart praising him. But the certainty is, it will happen, even if it is not in this life. We are certain to praise him in the life to come. Psalm 16 tells us, You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. If you're a Christian, you will certainly praise God in the future. It may be in this life, it may be in the life beyond this life, but if we follow Jesus in this life, it will happen. You can always say, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. Maybe you're feeling this right now, feeling the desert. Can I encourage you? You might just want to go away and pray on your own, but if it would help to pray with someone else, to ask someone who you know as a Christian to pray with you. Well, it's not wrong, is it, to say, actually, this is me. I feel this at the moment. And if someone asks you to do that, pray with them. Things from that verse 5, from that refrain. That they would put their hope in God. And that they would trust that they will yet praise him. Let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the wonderful truths in your word. Thank you that you meet us in our needs. And when we are feeling low, you come alongside us. You call us to come to Jesus. That those who are weary can come to him and find rest. Father, thank you that this psalm does that, helps us comes alongside us. Father, we pray for those in our church family who at this moment are feeling low, feeling abandoned. Father, please, with these truths in your word, nourish their hearts, help them to keep going in their walk with you, in trusting you. Father, please, would you help us to pray to you in all circumstances. Amen.